0: This interview is brought to you by Recruit Ready. Recruit Ready is a program in Winnipeg that takes high school students to the next level so that they can get recruited by college and university teams. Winnipeg, I'm jealous. I want to play professionally, and I truly believe that Recruit Ready could take me to that next level. If you're a kid with a dream that's similar to mine, definitely go check them out. This interview is brought to you by Kidsport, an organization that helps parents cover the cost of getting their children into organized sports. I've played numerous sports throughout my childhood, playing football ever since I was 6 years old, and i just started playing basketball this year. In our neighborhood, there aren't any kids to play with, and our school doesn't have any school teams. So organized sports is the only way for me to stay active, learn a sport, and meet new friends. Give the gift of sport. My goal is to figure out the tips and tricks of professional football players, and also give you a glimpse into their personal and professional lives. In this episode, I talk with former CFL player and current CFL coach, Richie Hall. Richie has been in the CFL for a total of 32 years through playing and coaching. Through his playing career, he has played with the Calgary Stampeders and Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Through his coaching career, he has coached with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Edmonton Eskimos, and is now coaching for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Richie has won three out of the four Grey cups that the Riders have won and is the only player in rider history to do so. Richie and I got into a lot of conversations that you have not heard before. He talks about his book and how he decided on the title, and some of the stories he has in his book. He talks about how being a football player at 5'6 made him work harder and how that work ethic and his ability to make relationships and trust those people carried out into his everyday life. But without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Hey Richie, I'm glad we got a chance to sit down and chat.
1: Me too. I'm excited.
0: Kim Stafflin, your publisher from Polish Publishing, introduced us so I could talk to you about your book, Smoke and Mirrors Life in the CFL with Richie Hall. I thought it was a good book filled with stories that are hard to come by and really tells people about who you are, as if meeting you in person, and uses real-life stories to show the lessons that you've learned in football and in life. The title Smoke and Mirrors was interesting, but when I found out it meant hiding something, I was curious whether you were going to tell us about the secrets about the CFL. But as I read, I understood it's your philosophy of coaching. Could you talk about what this means to you?
1: Well, I think it kind of gives the smoke and mirrors. As a matter of fact, it came from what the way that we played defense. You know, Eddie Davis and Omar Evans, who a couple of guys that I coached back with in the in the mid-2000s, kind of used that to describe, a, you know, what you see is not always what you get. And then when I kind of look at it, from a football aspect, you know, we're always trying to disguise things, trying to disguise looks, trying to disguise coverages. Uh, what you see is not always what you get. Then when I look at it as in life, always not what you see on the outside is always what you get on the inside. And what it is, is it, it forces you to look inside internally, look in within your heart, look in with, with your eyes actually see and what things actually mean. So. I think it was Guy Schultz, who's the the author. I thought it was a good title that he came up with. When I look at football and I look at my life, uh, it's kind of a reflection. You know, when you look at the mirror part, it forces you to look at yourself, but internally, not so much what you see on the outside.
0: Can you tell us about a time when you've had to apply this to your coaching?
1: Oh, gosh. I guess just just overall, you know, what you see as a player on the outside, uh, I think you have to go... Beyond that, you know, it's really what do they play with? Do they play with their heart? Do they play with that determination, that drive? I think when you look at people, it's not what you have on the outside it's what they have on the inside, because on the outside, you see a guy that, you know, six foot, 185 pounds, runs a four or five 40. But do they play with the heart of somebody that's bigger? Um, and, and that's what I always look at. I always look at it's not what you see athletically on the outside. It's what do they have on the inside because everyone has their own athletic abilities. And what takes people to the next level is that internal drive, you know, that perseverance, you know, that what I call it, that it factor that separates a good player from a great player from a, from a good person to a great person. You know, something that internally that, that, that drives them to be more than what you see on the outside.
0: So when you're looking at a player that is athletic, what do you look for?
1: Well, I, I look for, you know, you, you got your physical ones, you know, change of directions, their speed, their ability to, to adjust on the move, their athletic ability. But then you look at, it, at how well do they compete, you know, and, and I think how you compete is not something that you can measure, it's something that you got to see. And that's that if factor, that, that, that determination, that drive. Because physically, everyone's going to have, to a degree, the same athletic ability. And it's what separates that person. You know, when you look at them, like a Michael Jordan or a Wayne Gretzky, you know, they had the athletic ability, but they took it to another level regarding, you know, how they competed, how they how they utilized their teammates on the outside, around them, how they just, they just worked hard. And that's just something that you don't teach. You just either have it or you don't have it.
0: When you're looking at players, how do you see whether or not they work hard?
1: Well, I think some of it is just... You know, do they give up? You know, if they're beat on a play, do they sit and sulk, you know, and, and have their head down? or they, hey, everyone's going to get beat? Or do you pick yourself back up and you keep challenging yourself, keep pushing yourself? Are you coachable? Uh, do you give up? Do you just keep working? You know, I, I think when you look at the great players and the really good players, it, they just have that good work ethic. And it's a good work ethic that, that you don't teach. That's just what they have. That's the inner drive that they have within themselves. That's what I look at, you know, when you go through practice. Do you have to keep telling the person to run to the ball, to run to the ball, to run to the ball? Because at some point in time, they have to be able to run to the ball on themselves because during the course of a game, you're not out there with them. And they have to be able to have that self-drive in order to be the best that they can be out there in the football field.
0: What do you mean by being coachable?
1: Listen to what the coaches say, you know, no different than as a kid, you know, do you listen to what your parents say? And we all have our own way that we want to do things, but we got to be able to look at things from a different perspective. You know, there's our way and then there's other ways that people want to teach us and and to show us a a different way of doing things. And are we flexible enough to to hear that and to acknowledge those things? And if we're not, then you're going to limit yourself because I don't care who you are, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player, You don't know everything, and on the outside, if you can gain that information from other people that know more or don't know more, you know, just your teammates, you can learn from your teammates, that's the way it's going to make you a better player, that's going to make you a better person, because I don't care who we are, we don't know everything.
0: You say that who you are off the field is who you are on the field, and what you learn on the field can make you a better person. Football gives you opportunities to learn and practice skills that are important in life, what are some of the important things that you've learned?
1: Well, I've learned that first that you have to, that you got to believe in yourself, that you have to be confident in yourself because if you're not confident, then who's going to be confident in you? Like I said earlier, you know, you have to be willing to learn from other people. you got, you got to be willing to learn from your experiences and other people's experiences. I always believe this, no matter what your experience is, it's always a positive experience because what can I learn to make me a better person? The end results aren't always going to be what you want, but you can always learn and it can make you a better person, it can make you a better player in the long scheme of things.
0: How do you help your players become better players and people?
1: Well, I think you try to let them be themselves and try to, I try to see things through their eyes. You know, I know how I see things, but that's not the important things. It's not what I know, it's what do they know and what can I help teach them to understand to make this defense a little bit better or for them to be a little bit better at every situation that they're in. And I think you have to empower them, allow them to make mistakes, to allow them to try some things out on their own, because that's the only way that we're going to learn. I don't want the players to be robots, you know, and they understand what we're trying to do and how can they best use the abilities that they have to make it the best that it can be.
0: I know that sometimes it's hard to let someone be themselves and let them do what they need to do. So how did you get to that point where you just let them be themselves.
1: Well, I think you got to, you know, you got to find that boundary that that balance, you know. I'm am a Libra by zodiac sign, so it's always trying to find that balance and that balance that balance doesn't mean necessarily that it's 50-50. The balance could be 70-30, could be 80-20. It just kind of goes back and forth, but you got to allow that player to be themselves, okay, but at the same time they can't do everything that they want to do. No different than I can't have them do everything that I want them to do. It's gotta find that that mixture because again, they have to feel comfortable, they have to trust, because I think that comes back to, to trust in the player and them trusting you. To allow them to to experiment within themselves, you know, and to allow them just to go out there and to work hard and I guess just use the, the things that we talk about that makes a good player or a person and use those fundamental things. And as long as you're working within those things, I think that you got a great chance to be successful.
0: Over the years, I've had some good and some not-so-good coaches. One of my favorite stories is when your co-author, Guy, spends three days following you around while you're coaching the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. One of the things that he notices is that the locker room is sacred and that building trust is essential to success. Can you tell me why it's important to build trust?
1: Because that's who you have when you're on the football field. You have to be able to trust your teammates. No different than when you talk about our locker room sacred. It's no different than within your home. Your home should be a sacred place, and you have to be able to trust your family. You have to be able to trust your brothers and your sisters. Not saying that you always see eye to eye, but you have to know that when we go out on the football field, i got to trust that he's going to do his job. Because football is the ultimate team sport, and it's hard to get 12 players to all do the right things. But I believe that if you trust a player, okay, and you trust my teammate, then we got a great chance to be successful. Because we're all in it together. I need you to be successful. Because I can't be anything without you. Because, again, football is the ultimate team sport. And we need this cornerback to work with the halfback. The halfback has to work with the safety. The defense I'll rush in has to be able to work with the defensive tackle. Because all our jobs, we all have our jobs that we have to do. But I have to trust that you're going to do your job. Therefore, I have to do my job. And if everyone's doing what they're supposed to do, we've got a great chance to be successful on this play.
0: How do you build trust?
1: Practice, reps, believing. First, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you're going to go out there and you're going to do your job. Then you have to believe in your teammate that they're going to go out there and do their job. When you don't, that means that you're trying to do their job. And if you're trying to do their job, you can't do your job to the extent that you need to do it as. So when you're out there, you just, you've got to trust. And you do that by communicating with them, by working with them during practice, by talking with them. Uh, when you do make a mistake, first, why did the mistake occur? Okay, and then how can we correct it? You know, and that comes back to the communication and just being around the person and, and building that chemistry and building that unity.
0: In your book, you mentioned that you have whiteboards up along all your walls with messages of daily reminders. What messages do you put on your whiteboard? Just
1: little things that I come up with or that I see. You know, I'm into sayings and stuff. And I guess a couple of them right off the bat is, you know, every situation, you're either going to be bitter or you're going to be better. You know, so are you going to be negative about it or are you going to be positive about it? Am I going to learn from it or am I going to sulk over it? Better today than yesterday. It's just a lot of them. I can't think of them right off the top, but just things that just kind of daily reminders to help me get through the day. Because, you know, as we go through the day, we're going to struggle with things. You know, we're going to get frustrated with things. And a lot of times those things, those little sayings up on the board kind of enables me to, to deal with what I'm going through and really to relay some of the messages that I'm trying to convey to the team. You know, one of them is, is just team. Together, everyone achieves more. And that just reminds me, of, it's more than me. It's about us. And we all need each other for, for me to accomplish things that I want to accomplish. But they also need me to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. So, you know, what, what affects one affects everybody. Just daily reminders to help me to keep going. Because like I said, we're always going to go through some part of the day where we're going to struggle. And we need a, we need a kick in the butt.
0: So what do they mean to you?
1: There's something I try to live my life by because they motivate me, they inspire me, they challenge me. And the thing is, I try to live where I'm not going to say it unless I'm out there trying to do it. You know, it's not so much walk the walk. It's it's walk what I have to say, you know, and I, I have to, I can't just talk it. I got to be able to walk it. And if I'm just going to if I'm just going to talk it and not walk it, then there's no need saying anything. The things that I ask of the players are the same things that I ask of myself. And if I can't ask myself that, then I can't ask the players
0: that. Who encouraged you to do this? Did you encourage yourself to do it, or was it someone that motivated you to do it?
1: I think there's been influential people, you know, in my life. You know, it starts off with my parents. You know, they instilled in me a work ethic, a a selfless attitude to to work hard, to encourage others, as well as to encourage yourself. So I had a a baseball coach and a phys ed teacher named Steve Hisamoto, who's probably been the most influential person in my life outside of my family, that has encouraged me and supported me. And just because these people have supported me doesn't mean that they haven't got on me and I haven't felt consequences when I did things bad. Uh, They always supported me to encourage me to go forward. You know, so those are three people right off the bat that throughout my life that they have always pushed me and challenged.
0: What have they supported you with? Could you give an example?
1: In baseball with Coach Hisamoto. And I played uh, third base and I played the outfield. And it was my senior year and our team was struggling a little bit. You know, again, you always want to play. And he benched me. He didn't start me one game. I know we always talk about it uh, when we get together now and, you know, because he went to shake shake up our roster and everyone that he liked me and you know and i worked hard and everything and i had been struggling a little bit and so he benched me instead of even though i wasn't happy with it you know to me it was important that i supported my teammates and encouraged them you know because it wasn't about me it's about us we came back and we won the baseball game and i got a chance to play later on in the game but he just said it's just something that he thought he had to do just to light a fire in our team and I just happened to be I happened to be the, the corporate of it you know where it was I looked at it as, as a negative initially but in the in the long uh, scheme, scheme of things it turned out to be very positive
0: Did you enjoy third base and outfielder? Because I'm signing up for baseball next year and it will be my first year and my dad recommends that I play back catcher. Would you recommend that I play those positions?
1: Oh yeah, I, I just think just being out there in the field and just playing period. I think you know, they're all interchangeable, and I play a little catcher myself. You know, play a lot of different positions, but I liked the third base because it was a hot box. But I also liked it the outfield just because I had good beat and, you know, get a chance to run down balls. But uh, I think just you having a desire to go out there and play, and whatever the positions the coaches put you in, you just work hard at it, you know, and just do the best that you can.
0: I love football. I'm always practicing my three-step drop whenever I can. I'm the kid throwing the quick out while standing in the line at a grocery store with my parents. How has doing something that you love for most of your life improved you as a person?
1: Well, I just think when you do something that you love, you develop a passion for it. And you, you tend to work a little bit harder. And you have that perseverance because that's something that you enjoy doing. And I think when, when I look at it like that, it doesn't seem like it's work. I love football. And I think I have the best job in the world because I still get to be a kid, even though it's work because that's my job, but I don't look at it as work. It's just passion that I have for it. And I think that when you find something that you enjoy doing, you work a little bit harder. You bring a lot more to the table because of that enthusiasm. You're always looking to better yourself, you know, because it doesn't seem like it's work. It's just something that you enjoy doing. You're having fun. And I think whatever you do in life, that you have to have fun at it because, you know, we only have one life. You know, and, and to be very fortunate to, to be able to do things that you enjoy doing, I think it's probably the ultimate.
0: So what was it like for you to have to stop playing football?
1: Well, you know, it, it was disappointing. I don't think anything ever replaces playing. But football and sports is one of those things that you know that you can't play all your life. And that's why it's so important that, that you enjoy each day. You know, whether, whether it's a good day or whether it's not a so good day, but to enjoy it because at some point in time, it's going to end. I'm 57 years old now and I can no longer play, but I live vicariously through the players that I get to be around because I want them to experience the success and the happiness that I had when I got to play. And again, it's disappointing, but at the same time, it's what did you learn from it? And there's a lot of things that football taught me about life that I can share with other people. And even though I'm no longer playing it, I still get the enjoyment as though I was playing it.
0: What did football teach you about life?
1: Oh, how to deal with adversity, because everything's not going to always go your way. How to set goals for yourself, because what goals are is it's a sense of direction. And if you don't have a sense of direction or purpose of what you're trying to accomplish, all you're doing is aimlessly running in a circle. It taught me how to work with people, you know, because sports, you're always dealing with somebody, your teammate, you know, no different than in life. You know, you're always going to have a co-worker. You're always going to have a classmate. You're always going to have a brother or a sister or someone. So it teaches you how to work with other people. You know, it teaches you to be how to sacrifice because it's not about me. It's about us. You have to have a selfless attitude uh, because we have to work together. It's not always going to go my way, but between the two of us or the three of us or the group of us, we can not experience success because no one ever does or accomplishes anything on their own. You know, so those are just some basic principles that sports has taught me about life. It has nothing to do with throwing a football. It's it's having to, because I'm going to live longer than I play the sport. It's important that you're able to, to get along with people. It's, an, it's important that you have, that you're striving to do something. It's important that you work hard. It's important that you give it all your all. It's important that you understand that when you face adversity, how you pick yourself up. Because just because you have a goal that you want to achieve doesn't mean that you're going to achieve it that you're going to get knocked down but you got to be able to pick yourself up because that's life life is about overcoming our shortcomings and and continue to push yourself forward
0: did you enjoy playing football more than you enjoy coaching football and what are the beauties of playing versus coaching
1: oh nothing ever replaces playing winston i mean playing is the ultimate you know I got to play until I was, what, 31, 32, so I got to be a kid up until my 30s. And uh, you look at Tom Brady now, he's, what, 41 years old, and he's still living a dream. You know, that's all he's ever done was be a a little kid. So I don't think anything ever replaces playing, but the next best thing is being a coach and just being able to to show or to to share the blessings that people have before upon me and and the things that people have told me to help me get to where I was at. That's what I want to be able to do for other people. And when I was fortunate enough to win the great cup in 1989, it was a certain high, but you know something, it was no, I was in no higher than it was when I wanted as a coach in 2007, because we were able to achieve the ultimate. And that's what we all had set up to do. And like I said, that's what we had set up to do. Now, that's not what I had set up to do, but that's what being part of a team, it's whatever your role is, you contribute. And then if you're able to, uh, to experience that, that, that championship thing, then, you know, something, it's as high as you can get. You know, and that's what it's all about.
0: It's like being a student versus being a teacher.
1: Yes. But at the same time, you can experience the same height when that, that teacher or that student passes a grade or gets a good grade on a test. You just have different emotions as far as how you get there, but you still experience the same things because your role has changed. You know, as a, as a role as a student, you're learning, okay? As a teacher, you're teaching, but you can still both get enjoyment out of both.
0: When do you set the goal to become a coach?
1: Coaching was something I always knew I would do when I was back in college. It's just something that I never thought I would coach professionally. I always thought that I would be a high school coach. You know, but that's just something whenever I stopped playing, I said I I had a desire to coach. And that was just because that that kept me involved with the game. And I have loved sports so much. Sports has been such a big part of my life. Being able to still contribute, you know, even though I can't run around and play, but still can help players be better players than what they were before.
0: When did you realize you could become a coach?
1: I, I guess just... You know, maybe when I was in university, you know, when I was coming near to the end of my, I was getting ready to graduate, and you know, my, you know, my football career was done. And just being able to be around the coaches and help out with with coaching, you know, we have uh, in the states, they have uh, in the spring, they have what they call spring football. I was able to help coach, you know, help run drills and sit in meetings and everything. And it just it still in, intrigued me to to want to find out more about this and to still stay involved with uh, the sport.
0: What makes you a good coach?
1: I don't know if I'm a good coach. I just know that I enjoy <laughs> coaching. I know that whoever I work with, I'm going to give them my all. I'm going to help, try to help them out the most I can. They're going to get a hard worker. I don't have always have the answer, but I think collectively between me and that person or whoever, the group that we're working with, we could come up with the right answer. That's best for our situation. I really don't know what a good coach is. I just know that you're going to get everything out of me. I'm going to give you everything that I got.
0: Why did you want to become a coach?
1: To stay involved with the game. I can, still, I can still be a little kid, even though, like I said, I'm 57 years old, and I've been involved with football since, goodness gracious, probably since I was about 12 years old. I'm like Peter Pan. I'm the kid that never grows up, you know, and I'm, I'm still being a kid right now. So <laughs> I, I, just, I just love being involved with the game.
0: What coach has inspired you to be like them?
1: I think there's a lot of coaches that I've tried to take little bits and parts from that. And it goes back to, like, Steve Hisamoto, my baseball coach. You know, he taught me to work hard. He taught me about perseverance. Coach Matthews, Don Matthews, uh, he taught me don't take life too serious, you know, to go out there and enjoy and have fun. You know, because at the end of the day, what do we do? It's a kid's game. You have to enjoy it. And if you can't enjoy it, then why do it? You know, I've had so many coaches that have been so influential on me. They really don't even believe how much influence that they have on me, words that they said, just ways that they had handled situations, just the way that they are. You know, but most importantly, you know, most of the coaches I've had, they've been people first and they've cared about me and helped me out, not only in the sport, but in life. And I think when I look at people, you know, whether it was my mom and my dad or various coaches, they've coached me in life, not just in sports, but in life. And that's Like I said, I'm going to live longer than I play the sport. People are always, even at my age now, you know, my dad is 83 years old. and He's still coaching me, Continue to be a a, a good man.
0: What does your goal-setting process look like?
1: Starts off with, you know, just the processes, you know, what do we want to accomplish? You know, everything for myself starts off with being the team. The playoffs, you know, we want to win the championship. You know, we want a first-round bye, and I'm talking about, you know, in the CFL. And then... For myself personally, it's, it's how can I be better? How can I be the best coach that can be? How can I be the best player? It's not so much statistics. Yes, we want to give you know, X amount of yards. I want to have X amount of interceptions and stuff like that. But I also want to be an all-around. You know, I don't want to be just someone that has interceptions. I want to be able to be an all-around player. So my whole thing is always to look at how can I better myself on each situation.
0: How often do you review your goals?
1: During the season, about two or three times a year. You know, when I look at it as far as, you know, and I'm constantly, I guess self-evaluating myself, you know, on a weekly basis, you know, asking the players, like, what more can I give to you? How can I help you out? You know, where do I need to, where do I need to improve at? Because like I said, I don't have all the answers, but I think through them and through everyone that you work with, I think I can come up with the, we can come up with the best answer for all of them, and especially for myself. Like I said, really two or three times during the course of the season. But I think it's kind of a daily thing because I'm always looking, how can I be better today? I got to be better today. I got to be better today.
0: Do you encourage your players to have goals? Yes, I do. You know,
1: they're always going to have goals, you know, statistics, you know. If you're a defensive lineman, you know, you want sack, you know you want tackle for losses, for DB, you want interceptions, you want tackles, you know, force fumbles and stuff. But those individual goals are important, but I don't think you should get caught up on too many individual goals. I think you've got to look at it from the team perspective, because I think the thing you want to do is you never want to sacrifice your individual goals. You, you never want to sacrifice the team goals for your goal, because we go out there to win the football game. I want to be the best that I can be, but how can I contribute for our team to be successful? Because our team is the, and our success as the organization far exceeds my success as an individual. Um, I encourage them to do that, but, but I hope they have team goals that perceive that.
0: This year, you look at Ed Gainey, and he had 10 interceptions. They say that the, uh, the coach, Chris Jones encouraged him and gave him a talk to have more interceptions and to be more aggressive. What talks do you give to your players?
1: You know, to be more aggressive, you know, to me, what Chris Jones is saying is just trust yourself. You know, believe in yourself that when you're in a position, don't worry about making a mistake. Just go out there and play. And if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. But you better make it at full speed than second doubting yourself. I always tell the players, trust your eyes. Your eyes will never tell you wrong. Your mind will always mess you up, but your eyes won't tell you wrong. If you see it, then go. If you don't see it, then you don't see it. So the whole thing is in order to play fast on a football field, you have to be confident. And when you're confident and you're playing fast, you got a great opportunity to be successful. He had an outstanding year. What was the difference between him making interceptions later on in the year or in the middle of the year that he did earlier in the year, it might have been just a half a step here. It might have been him just not worrying about things, playing fast, thinking fast, and reacting fast.
0: So how does a player become confident? I think
1: by just going out there and being successful. You know, you prepare yourself for it, and you work at it, and when you work at it, you practice it, and all of a sudden you start seeing, result. you start seeing results. You start seeing results. You start seeing results then you go out there and you believe you can do that. You can't just, you know, if you're a basketball player, if you've never taken a shot, it's hard to be confident that you're going to make the shot. So what you do is what? You practice it, you practice it, you practice it, and you experience success, and you experience success. And when you experience success, then that means you know that you can go out there and you'll be successful when you do it. When you shoot the ball, you're not thinking, I'm going to make a mistake. When I shoot the ball, I know I'm going to make the shot. You know, so I think confidence comes back to preparing yourself by rep, by practicing, by doing the things right, and seeing the result.
0: You say that play execution means being present in every moment, every play, and every series. Do you encourage your players to meditate for them to help stay present?
1: Yeah, and you know, I think that, medita- that meditation is just that fo- focus. What is my responsibility? What am I supposed to do in this play, and what am I anticipating the opposition to do? And to me, that's the meditation aspect of it. It's not sitting there saying I'm going to meditate for five minutes or something like that. It's Hey, I get the call. What's my responsibility? And I go out there and do the job. Being in the moment mentally, okay? Putting yourself in that moment and focusing and concentrating on what my task is. You know, I think that's where execution starts with.
0: Other than to help being present in every moment, why else should you meditate?
1: Because it relaxes you. It keeps you focused. You know, meditation, to me, it keeps you focused on what you're trying to accomplish. It also relaxes you because, you know, whether you're getting ready to take a test or you're getting ready to ask a question that you're nervous about, it calms you down. What you want to do is when you're calmed down, I think you stand a better chance of executing when you're relaxed. And it builds confidence because you're not worried about or you're not thinking about messing up. You're just thinking about this is what I got to do. I go out there and do it. Then I'm going to experience success do you meditate? Yes, I do. You know, before the game, you know, I listen to music. I focus on what I have to accomplish, you know, what I'm anticipating, trying to relax. And you know, I get butterflies before a game. I get nervous and antsy before the game. So there's things that I do to try to relax myself and try to make sure that I'm in the right frame of mind to do the best job that I'm trying to do.
0: I have two rituals that I do before a game. I hold mementos in my hand, one at a time, and visualize the passes that I'm going to make in the game. And on the way to the game, I crank up Bon Jovi's Blood on Blood. <laughs> it's a song about friends that are like brothers, which is how I feel with my teammates. Do you have a ritual that you do before a game?
1: Yes, I have an MP3 player that I have a list of up-to-beat songs on there that I listen to that relaxes me. And, you know, that's probably... And I just kind of talk to myself. And it's not so much about football. I just want to relax myself, and I, you know, I feel confident in my preparation. I just want to. Make sure that I'm just not too emotionally charged where I think you could be too excited where you're not focusing the way that you need to focus. So I'm like you. I, I listen to music. I don't talk to a lot of people, kind of like being in the corner by myself. You know, when we go on road games, I go on the stands for when we get there until about a half an hour before we go out on the field, I just kind of sit in the stands and listen to music and just kind of relax and just stay away from people.
0: Has your ritual changed between being a player and a coach?
1: No not at all. It's funny I, you know, the other thing that I do too is like I fast during the game uh, or fast before the game. I don't I don't eat the uh, day of the game. And just cuz food just makes me sluggish and makes me tired. So, you know, whether I was a player or whether I was a coach, I I tend to do the same thing.
0: It's funny because uh 2 days ago I tried fasting for 24 hours. Uh-huh. Basically, I just had to drink a lot of water and tea, and I found it was really hard. So, what's your trick to fasting? Because I found it's really hard for me.
1: I've been doing it for so long, so it's kind of like second nature, you know? I just know that when I eat, it just makes me sluggish and makes me you know lazy and just I just don't feel right so I have no problems with it as far as just you know drinking water or you know drinking some juice or anything like that it's just just the whole food aspect of it and I don't know if so much as a secret I just think you know regarding you know fasting or rituals that you have it's what you feel comfortable with and just long as it's just not detrimental if you can do it that's good if that's what you choose to do if you can't then that's good too you know you just make sure that you feel good before the game like you know some people they're ritual before the game is to always have a spaghetti dinner. I think a lot of the stuff that we do, the rituals, and, is a mental thing. But again, it's whatever, whatever it takes to get us mentally prepared to play the game or to do the task at hand is what's the important thing.
0: Do you fast any other time than before a game?
1: No, nope, that's about it. That's, that's about it. You know, there was a couple of years ago, I used to fast once a week. And, you know, more or less just to clear myself out. You know, there's things that I'll do during the course of the year that might be change up, you know, from a from an eating perspective, or, you know, just trying to change my diet or trying to, you know, improve myself in that manner. But that's the only time that I really fast is just game day.
0: Do you encourage your players to have a ritual?
1: I encourage my players to do what they need to do to get ready for a game. I, I do believe everyone has their own little ritual as far as what they do, you know, whether they get dressed a certain way or they get to the stadium at a certain time, they listen to certain music. I, I do think that we all have some ritual that we feel comfortable with that we do on game day.
0: What music do you uh, listen to before the game? I'm,
1: I'm old school, so sometimes I'll listen to or, some old R&B things that, that I listened to when I was back in college, when I first came in the league it changes but a lot of it is just upbeat music Uh, nothing that gets me too mellow but something with a nice beat with it i can't sing but i try to sing you know the biggest thing is just just for me to be relaxed going into the game
0: if you could go back and talk to your teenage self what advice would you give yourself
1: Probably don't worry about the end result, just keep working hard, take one play at a time, take one day at a time, do the best that you can and whatever happens happens. Sometimes I take losses pretty hard, but just go out there as long as you do the best that you can, that's all you can do and and don't worry about the end results because the end results will take care of itself.
0: Is there anything that you would have told yourself earlier to make you a better coach?
1: I definitely, you know, I think to probably ask more questions, you know, to be more attentive when you're listening regarding people that have had far more experience than you, I think, you know, no, you can never ask too many questions. And I think just initially, you know, first starting out coaching and just think by nature, I'm a quiet person, but just be more aggressive in that aspect as far as just trying to obtain, be more of a sponge, uh, be an aggressive sponge more so than just kind of sitting back and just allowing everything to, to run the course, but just to initiate a little bit more.
0: As a kid, when you're playing football on the playground, who would you pretend to be?
1: Back in those days, it was, oh, goodness, you're aging me. <laughs> Billy Sims, I was a big Oklahoma Sooners fan, and uh, he was a running back. He was number 20. I was number 20 in high school, and he's the one that comes off to the top of my head. Even though he was a running back, I was a defensive back, but I just admired him. when He you know, he wasn't a very big player. He was only about 5'9", but uh, he just seemed like he played with a lot of heart and a lot of tenacity.
0: Were you number 20 because of him?
1: Nope, it just happened to be that when I went out for high school, uh, they gave me number 20, and I, it stuck with me. It's funny with, regarding numbers, because I was number 20 in high school, and then I went when I went to university at Colorado State, they gave me number 7. Then when I went to Calgary, I was number 27. And then when I was traded to Saskatchewan, I, I went back and had number 7. So 20 and 7s are very important, and have been very influential in my life.
0: How have they been influential in your life?
1: When we went to the Grey Cup in 1989, it was my seventh year in the league. It was the 77th Grey Cup. And in the Western final, my wife sat in row seven, seat number seven.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So that's a lot of sevens.
0: <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and like even when uh, my cell phone, I have a lot of number sevens in it. Just for whatever reason, seven has been very, been very lucky for me.
0: How were you similar to the player that you pretended to be? Probably
1: just size-wise, you know. I was, you know, he was a lot stockier than I was, but just probably the, the height. You know, he wasn't a very big person, you know, by the nature of his position, and I wasn't very big. But I like to think I played with a lot of a lot of heart and tenacity. And when I saw the things that he accomplished, and he played with a lot of heart, you know, because he was only five foot nine. You know, he was about 200 pounds, but he was probably one of the best. You know, he was a Heisman Trophy winner, which is the outstanding uh, player in college football. He was All Pro. when he went to the Detroit Lions. But he was small, but he was playing a big man's game, and he did a very good job. And it was just, to me, a lot of it was he had God-given ability, but he also played with a lot of heart, a lot of determination.
0: Because you were also a small player, what would you have to do to make up for your size? How did you have to work harder?
1: Well, I think, I think for myself, I just had to understand my opponent, understand our playbook, what my responsibilities were, and making sure that I put myself in the best possible position uh, because I didn't have some of the athletic ability that other people had. I didn't have some of the size, and I just had to try to outwork them and just try to make up the difference with how I played, not because of what you saw. Again it comes back to what you have inside here and that's your heart. And I always felt that I had to be better than the next person because if you if you had a chance to take someone myself being five foot six or someone six foot tall, you're gonna take the six foot tall guy just because he was bigger. And I always had to try to make sure that I separated myself. What was that what's that little thing that's gonna give me an edge? And to me a lot of it was gonna be the mental approach to the game. How hard I worked, making sure that I knew my assignments and made very few mistakes. And to me that was a difference because I think when I look at myself I wasn't the biggest person I wasn't the fastest person but I'm an overachiever and for whatever reason God has blessed me with with the opportunity to have what 30 something years in the CFL at 5 foot 6 I never thought I would play pro football but I had a 9 year career I never thought I would coach but I started off coaching in 1994, and it's 2017, 2018, and I still have the opportunity to coach. So I've been blessed. I just, I could only attribute to that as just being hard work and just good fortunes.
0: In my interview with Kahari Jones, he talks about how he wanted to make sure that he had everything that the coach might ask. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, and that's just me mentally prepared. That's separating yourself from everybody else, because, you know, Kahari, most outstanding player, when you look at him, he wasn't the biggest guy, you know, but he was a very good football player. Knowing what to anticipate, you want to have the, the mental uh, approach that a coach has, and that's by putting the time and the work in. And that's the mental approach uh, as far as working hard and, and trying to get a better understanding of what the defense is or what the offense is or what your opposition is trying to do. That's the, middle, that's the thing that you can't measure when you see a person you can only measure that by watching him how he plays how he again how he prepares himself to play the game
0: if you could put a message on a fortune cookie what would it say if
1: everyone in this choir was just like me what kind of choir would this choir be and what that means to me is if everyone in this world or your team or in your community was just like you what kind of community would that be that means if if you're working hard you know if you're selfless. If you're doing the right things, you have a positive mindset, then you're going to have a pretty good team. You're going to have a very really good community. But if you're selfish, if you're lazy, then that's the type of team you're going to be. So it forces me to look at myself. And if I'm going to be a complainer, if everyone else around me complains, then what will we accomplish? And that's nothing. So the whole thing is it makes me always look at myself before I look at somebody else.
0: And why is it important to you?
1: Why is it important to me? Because it goes beyond me. It's bigger than me. Uh, It keeps me humble. It makes me work hard. And it makes me understand that things that I want, people are going to have to help me out. Different than I have to help them out. It it makes me be selfless. Not to have a selfish attitude. It keeps me, probably the biggest thing, like I said earlier, it keeps me humble. And it keeps me willing to work and not take anything for granted.
0: Football and CFL fans are very passionate. Can you tell me about the craziest or cutest fan moment?
1: There's two examples. Our run to the Grey Cup back in 1989 when I was playing for Saskatchewan and we just beat Edmonton in the Western Finals to go to the Grey Cup and we flew back we chartered back that night we landed in the airport and the place was just jam-packed with people got in my car pulled out and literally sat there for a half an hour, didn't even move because there were so many cars in the parking lot, pulled back in, got a cab, and came back and got my car the next day. That's what Saskatchewan people are. That's what the CFL is all about, that passion that they love for their prospective teams and they love for the league. The other story I have, it evolved a week later. When we came back, we had just beat Hamilton in Toronto in the Great Cup, 43-40 to 40 on Dave Ridgeway's field goal. And we go into the stadium. It's probably around minus 20 degrees outside and there's like 18,000 people waiting for our team there at Taylor Field. And to me, that's just wild. You know, 18,000 people in minus 20-degree weather at 7 o'clock at night and just there to cheer us on, just to see the trophy. They introduced the players, and then they went home. I mean, can you imagine that? Go sit in that cold weather just to acknowledge how proud you were of the province of Saskatchewan that day. And just to be part of that, that's probably one of the neatest things I've ever seen.
0: Wow, that's a really cool experience. That's rider fans for you.
1: Yes, it is. It's rider fans, but it's CFL fans. You know, because I just get goosebumps when you hear about stories regarding across the league. You know, everywhere from Toronto, Montreal, or across to BC, regarding people's appreciation and their love for the game of, of football here in Canada. I think it's just something very special, and hopefully, people don't take it for granted because it is. It is truly something very unique.
0: Do you get as many cool moments because you're a coach? No, not too many. I think you you
1: get a lot of them looking at the players, you know, because the game is all about the players. And as coaches, you know, we try to take a back seat, but we do take a back seat because people don't want to know about the coaches. They want to know about the players. They want to know about the guys, you know, that that score the touchdowns, that get interceptions, that make big runs and big hits and stuff. And, you know, so like I said, I I live vicariously through them because when I see the excitement on their faces, that makes me excited. I just enjoy being a part of it.
0: In my first year of tackle football, the coach put his son in at quarterback without any tryouts, so I played linebacker. I was pretty disappointed at the time, but what I realize now is that it's taught me to understand the defense and has made me a better quarterback. Can you tell me about a time when something didn't work out for you and you were disappointed at the time, but now you're grateful it turned out that way? Well, I
1: think there's two things that happened was, you know, one of them is I was disappointed. My first year in university, in uh, I flunked out of school. You know, I didn't have the grades and I was kicked out of school. That hurt me a lot because I know I disappointed myself. I disappointed a lot of other people. Couldn't play football, wasn't in school, felt very ashamed of myself, but then got back in, you know, was able to graduate in five years, was able to have a good college career and just taught me about perseverance and work ethic and not getting down. You know, my dad always told me when I flunked out, he said, you weren't the first one and you won't be the last one. It's what do you do now? What do you do from there? Do you sulk or do you keep fighting? When I graduated in May of 1983, it was probably the greatest day of my life just because I had accomplished something. Five years earlier, I had flunked out of school, but now I was receiving my degree. Something that didn't start out good, but it finished good. And I know I took a lot of hard work, but I was happy because I worked hard. And I'm a firm believer that when you go out there and you work hard and you don't give up, good things are going to happen. You just don't know when they're going to
0: happen. For people that are in university right now, what would you recommend for them? Hey,
1: get those grades. Take care of those grades because if you want to play sports, I want to play football. But if I didn't get the grades, I couldn't play football. So make sure you take care of your education because education is very important. It's about learning. It's about being the best that you can be. You know, whether you're in the football field or whether you're in the classroom, do the best that you can do. And When you do those things, good things are going to work out.
0: What things have you learned about when you were coaching for the Eskimos that you could use if you got that position again?
1: (laughs) That's a tough one. Being a head guy, to be more assertive as far as how you want things done, to surround yourself with uh, people that are going to buy into it because we're all in it together. I always think that, you know, after your first experience as far as being a leader, you're going to always going to be better. There's so many things I learned about myself a- as far as leadership qualities regarding discipline, regarding perseverance. Just a lot of little things that I w- w- would try to do better. Um, not try to do better, but would be better at. And a lot of it's just how you handled yourself as far as, Making sure that you let them know what you wanted. You have a vision, and to make sure that you stuck with that vision as far as making them see the vision, so they can not so much fall in line, but but they can experience the same vision too. In order for us to go forward
0: what's your vision in Winnipeg? My
1: vision is one of the things that Coach O'Shea set out for us last year for us to be physical play with physicality and to play with speed and to play together so that's my vision because I think when you do those three things and when you look at our football team those are the three things that enable us to win 12 football games last year that we had a very successful season we came up short but you can see our progress and our vision was his vision because he's the head man and he set the tone for us and it was important for for us to to reiterate that to our players and that's just about playing together being physical out there and playing with speed and when you do those kind of things good things happen.
0: Greatness often comes from being different than the crowd. Is there anything that you do or think that people don't agree with or goes against current teaching?
1: I think just the way that you carry yourself uh, I think the whole thing regarding greatness and everything and the crowd is you know, it's what the end result is. I think the key thing is that you have to always believe in what you're doing is the right thing. Because at the end of the day, you're going to suffer the consequences, whether it's pro or con. And I think when you look at greatness or to separate yourself from the crowd, you know, it's not so much you got to stand alone, but a lot of times you got to go against what the majority might say or might think. But I think is that you believe in what you're doing. And you got to go out there and you got to trust yourself. You have to trust the people that you work with. You have to trust the people that that are around you, you know, because everyone's going to have their own uh, opinion about things. And God made us all different, you know, so we're all going to have our own different opinions. But the thing is that you have to believe in what you're doing. You have to feel confident in what you have to do. And you have to be able to stick with it, especially in times of adversity, when things aren't going your way, because if that's what you believe in, that's what you got to believe in and you got to keep that because you're going to go through tough times but that's what makes you stronger that's what makes you better and if you continue to do those kinds of things good things are going to happen
0: could you give us an example of when you've had to deal with it
1: as far as being a defensive coach some calls during the game where sometimes people might not always agree with them, you know, whether it's pressure, whether it's playing coverage. The whole thing is everyone always looks at the final result, you know, because I don't know what a good call is. It's a result of the call because if you bring pressure, and that's why I say it's a player's game, when the players go out there and they execute, they give you a great chance to be successful. I think the players make the coaches look good. Our job is to put the players in the best possible position to be successful. And then whatever happens, happens. And there's times you second doubt yourself, should I make that call? But the thing is, when you make the call, you have to believe that you're going to be successful with it. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't work out. That's how life is. But the thing is that you always got to believe. And when the critics come after you, you still got to be strong to say, this is what I called. This is what the results were. And I stand behind it, pro or con. I still stand behind it. And, you know, that happens all the time. It still comes back to regardless of what you're doing, Winston, what you're doing in life, who you are, believe in yourself. And believe in what you're doing is the right thing.
0: Having had such a successful career with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and having your home in Regina with your wife, what's it like now coaching for the Riders' rivals the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and being away from home?
1: Well, it's tough being away from my wife, but when I come back here, at one point in time, they were cheering for me. Now, they're booing me, you know, when I come into Mosaic Stadium, but you know something, it's you kind of adjust to it. It's different, but I've learned it's just another opponent coming in Saskatchewan. It's no different than going to Toronto or going to Calgary. It's just, there's a different color jersey, and you want to win. It's different just because I spent so much of my time here, but things change, and there's a lot of people within the organization that I work with that are no longer there, so they're just, they're an opponent that stops us from going or achieving the things that we want to achieve, and that's trying to get to the Grey Cup.
0: Could you tell us a bit about your wife?
1: My wife, uh, her name's Helen. Uh, we've been married five years now. She's a very supportive, very loving person. She keeps me in line. She keeps me balanced. When I come home, she's there to support me. They're there to love me and they care to look after me, and, you know, I can't say enough good things about her. She makes life worth living.
0: Well, I'm glad you have someone like that. Well, thank you. You are also a public speaker over 20 years since you last played. Why do you think you've stayed popular?
1: I don't know. I, I think coming to Saskatchewan, for whatever reason, it seems like Saskatchewan has adopted me and I have adopted Saskatchewan. I've been here since 1988, minus two years. It has become the longest I've ever lived in one place. And, you know, for whatever reason, Saskatchewan has wrapped its arms around me. It's been a mutual admiration for both of us. And I can't say why, but for whatever reason, you'd never think that i played play for another team or coach with another team. It's just uh, Saskatchewan's been in my blood. Even though I'm with Winnipeg, people still have nice things to say about me when I come back here. And I just try to work hard and just try to be good to wherever I'm at. And Saskatchewan has just been a real good place for me.
0: Now we will get into some rapid-fire questions. Okay. What's your morning routine?
1: I get up, uh, have quiet time, get myself right mentally, read the Bible, have daily devotions. During the season, I try to have a little workout and then get ready for practice.
0: What time do you get up?
1: I'm a real morning person. I get up probably around 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. When my mom was alive, we used to talk at 5 o'clock every morning. Like I said, I'm a a morning person, so some people say that's beyond uh, early. That's ridiculous. I just find I get a lot of things accomplished uh, before my day gets started.
0: What do you eat in the morning?
1: Usually nothing. I really don't eat too much. I like one meal a day. You know, I might have some fruit in the morning or anything like that, but for the most part, nothing. Not until uh, probably around 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening.
0: What do you do when you get to work in the morning? Watch
1: film. Okay. Watch a lot of film. Uh, look at what we need to accomplish for that day. You know, what's our purpose? What things that we need to do that we didn't uh, do so well the day before. You know, review practice. In some ways, already start game planning for the next day uh, regarding our uh, practice session.
0: What time do you usually get to the field at?
1: Around 11.15. We're in the field for about just about two hours.
0: What does the week before a game look like? If it's
1: seven days in between games, we'll have the day after the game, we'll watch the film with the players. The next day, they'll have the day off, and that'll be our game planning day, and that's getting our new plays and looking at our opponent and what's our game plan and what plays that we want to run against them, as well as getting ready for practice. Then the players will be back on what we call day one. Then there'll be day two, day day three for practices. And then there's a day before, which is kind of a walkthrough day, and then we play on the seventh day on game day.
0: How many plays do you usually set aside for the game?
1: We have our plays that we want to try to run that we're going to take care of the run and take care of the passes or, or blitzes and pressure or coverages that we want to put in. Usually there's probably about 55 to 60 defensive plays and we probably have about probably at least half of them are, are different plays. So I would probably say probably 30 different plays that, uh, that we work on during the course of the, the week for that game.
0: You know what I've always been wondering? Like, with every team, whether it's minor football, professional football, they always have different names for their plays. Yes. How do you base the names for your plays? Sometimes
1: we kind of group things together. Like our blitzes might be all animal names or our coverages might be color names and stuff like that. So you try to find a common language that players can relate to. They can tie things in that makes it possible for them to remember and try to keep it as simple as possible. So you know, everyone, you know, if you go talk to math people or science people, they all had their own language. And then within our defense or various defenses and offenses, uh, they have their own language. You know, things may might not mean nothing to somebody else but like i said blue might be our man coverage so anytime there's blue they know it's man coverage so just coming up with different language that makes it simple for the players
0: could you give us an example of a play
1: We can go Tiger, which is a personnel grouping, and we can say 30, which is how the front will line up, a three-man front. We could play cloud, which cloud means a coverage on the back end. So it's a zone coverage. So everyone, you know, we have to know what personnel is on the field because Tiger puts us in an extra linebacker. So we'll have three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and six DBs. The 30 tells them how to line up, and then the cloud will tell them what coverage that we have to run regarding who's a high player who's a low player.
0: And how would you make the signals to the players?
1: So it makes some sense. We might point to the sky for cloud. We might show them a three for 30, and the tiger is like a paw. Okay. Just something that they can, you know, it's like in in baseball with the coaches on the third base, you know, he goes through all these signals, and it means something. You know, there's some dummy calls that we have, and there's some calls that are live calls that mean something to the players.
0: What makes a successful defense? Is it execution or imagination?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I think that the bottom line is regarding the players. Like I said earlier, you know, good players make really good coaches and our job is to put them in the best possible position to be to be successful and i think to make a successful defense is you execution is that you minimize your mistake that you play fast you play hard and you play together and i think when you do those things consistently that you got a chance to be a very good defense that's You got to run to the football and you want to be physical at point of attack. And one of the things that we talk about is taking the ball away. You want to take the ball away, whether it's intercession or first fumbles. But in order to do that, you have to to be able to have the attitude to run to the football.
0: What book have you recommended or gifted most often?
1: Probably the Bible. I try to read that. I try to get into that on a daily basis just because it keeps things in perspective for myself. I'm a believer and there's a lot of things that it helps me to deal with life when I read the Bible because it makes things a lot easier. to to take care of in life. It calms my nerves because there's a, there's a higher being than myself. When I have the opportunity to share with people, I share with people, and I have opportunity to present them with a gift. That's probably the, the book that I have given out most, is uh, giving Bibles away.
0: When you hear the word success, who do you think about?
1: It's not so much I think about any person. I just think of hard work, determination. Success doesn't mean that, that you win the great Cup. Success to me means that you improved and that you're willing to work hard for things to be successful because success is to me success is uh it's the process it's not so much the end result
0: do you think you're a success
1: yes i am and i would think i was a success regardless if i played pro ball if i won a great cup uh, it's just that i'm going to go out there and work hard and do the best i can and i think we have that mindset you are going to experience success your success is always different you know and everyone has their own different of what success is i thought we were successful last year even though we didn't win the great cup we were a better team in november than we We were in May. We were a better team in 2017 than we were in 2016, so in a lot of ways I thought we were successful. We didn't achieve the goals that we had set for ourselves, but we still had a successful season because, again, we improved. We were better. Again, it's that process. We're still working on that process of getting better.
0: What has been your favorite memory in your football career? Probably when I
1: played in Calgary in my first year. Matter of fact, we were playing the Hamilton Tie Cats. It was the first game that my parents got to see me play professionally. in august they they came up from denver and uh, my mom and dad my aunt and uncle to be able to fulfill a childhood dream and that's become a professional athlete and they got a chance to see me play i'll always remember that day
0: did you at least win the game
1: yeah we won the game i didn't do nothing special or anything like that but just to see my my parents in the stands it made it all worthwhile
0: well i want to thank you for your time richie where's the best place for people to get a hold of you are you on twitter
1: no i'm not on twitter I'm not much of a a social media.
0: Well, I hope we can stay in touch.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. We definitely will. I appreciate you wanting to to, to interview me. Thank you for your time. And uh, I think you did a very good job.
0: Thank you.